I'm Abigail Beeman, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. Some big news this week for Canadians looking to head south for road trips, family reunions, and vacations. Come November, the United States will open its land borders to vaccinated foreigners, no COVID test required. Family on both sides, friends on both sides. We go shopping back and forth. It's a real symbiotic relationship. For more than two months, Canada's borders have been open to vaccinated Americans any way they want to cross. But since the start of the pandemic, Canadians couldn't drive to the U.S. It's been incredibly confusing for travelers. That will change November 8th. You'll be asked about your vaccination status at the land border. You won't need to show proof unless you're screened further. You will need to show proof to fly to the U.S. You won't need a COVID test to enter that country by land. But Canada still requires a negative PCR test on the way back. Our measures have been flexible and they have adapted to changing circumstances. And on the Canadian side, we still have this conflicting advice about whether it's a good idea to travel at all. We still have travel advisories in place recommending that people don't travel unless it's absolutely necessary. And to break all that down, we are joined by Public Safety Minister Bill Blair. Minister, thank you for being here. I want to start with those words from your colleague, Patty Haidu, on our show last week, saying now is not the time to travel. It's a confusing message with the U.S. and Canada making it easier to cross the border. What is your message to Canadians who want to travel? Well, certainly we understand that there's a very strong pent-up demand for people who want to travel. Many Canadian snowbirds, for example, are anxiously waiting to find out if they'll be able to go, go south for the winter. But at the same time, we also recognize that international travel, people travel into countries where the circumstances can change. And we've seen that happen throughout the pandemic, Abigail, uh, where, where you know the rules have suddenly changed and people have not been able to, to, to get out of the country or, or they, they may be confronted with you know, last-minute changes in various jurisdictions. So our travel advisory remains place. But we are also taking action to make sure that that people who, who do choose to travel can do so safely, and particularly for fully vaccinated travelers with the de- development, and it's well underway, the work on an international proof of vaccination certificate uh, system, and also with the new rules being announced uh, reciprocal between ourselves and the United States now, uh, whereby uh, travelers to both Canada and the United States who are fully vaccinated will be able to enter the country for non-essential purposes. Minister, you talk about, you know, being aware or being careful heading to certain regions. Do you think that the government's blanket travel advisory should be more targeted? Well, I, I, I think eventually it will evolve that way. And, and one of the things, and, and you know, the, the, the Deputy Prime Minister made reference to it, over the course of the entire pandemic, the advice that we've been receiving from our health officials, and we monitor very carefully the data and the evidence from around the world, and, and, and that advice has continued to evolve. Um, we are also seeing now that, that with the proof of vaccination um, verification that, that is being put in place, as well as the utility of, of the, the, the negative PCR tests that, that we've also put in place, those measures have proven to be quite effective in protecting our communities and Canadians from the introduction of COVID um, at our borders. And so we'll we'll continue to learn from those lessons and modify our advice as appropriate. But in every case, we listen to the science, we listen to the advice of our public health agencies, and and we work very closely and collaboratively with our international partners. We certainly expect more Canadians to hit the road next month to the U.S. Uh, And in order to make things easier, your government has been promising a vaccine certification or vaccine passport system for months. Can you give us any update on when that will be ready specifically? 
Yeah, the, actually, there's been a great deal of work done on that, and the Prime Minister has indicated that it remains a very significant priority for us. We know that an internationally recognized proof vaccination certificate is going to be necessary and very helpful to, to, to Canadians who choose to travel abroad. And, and so I am very confident that in, in the coming weeks, uh, we will be introducing um, those certificates. Um, there's still some work that's being done with our province, our provincial partners where the data is actually resident, um, and to make sure that that's available to Canadians right across the country. But some real progress has been made. Um, and, and, and I'm confident my, my colleague, uh, the, the Minister from uh, Immigration, will be, will be making uh, th those announcements in, in, in the coming weeks. Uh, but, but a great deal of work has been done. And, and we're, we've promised that we're going to get this, this job done as quickly as possible. And the Prime Minister certainly indicated that it remains a priority for our government. Can you make a promise that that will be before this date of November 8th when Canadians will be able to travel to the U.S. by by rope, by land? I always think it's important to overperform and under under promise. But at the same time, I'm, I'm very confident that, that that work has been progressing very, very well um, and that we will have uh, in place for um, a, a number of, of Canadian travelers that certificate um, by that date. But but there's some there's still some other contingencies that need to be addressed. We're working through them as quickly as possible. And I think in our conversations with the provinces and territories, I think everybody recognizes the importance of an international, you know, they, they talk about a vaccine passport, it's proof of uh, vaccine. Uh, vaccination so a certification that would be accepted internationally. We've been working really hard on that. The work, by the way, continued throughout the entire summer. We've, we've, we have been working on this for several months, um, and, and the, the results of that hard work uh, will be announced in, in the coming weeks. So many pieces of this puzzle and so, many, you know, ch so much changing information and details. I would like to get you to clarify uh, your understanding about a test requirement for Canadians entering the United States by air versus by land. For several months now, Canadians have required uh, travelers entering this country, both Canadians, Americans, and foreign nationals, to be fully vaccinated and to show proof of a negative uh, PCR test. Um, we understand with the new regulations being put in by the United States, they are not going to require that negative PCR test at land borders, but they are going to retain the requirement for people arriving internationally by air into the United States that they be both fully vaccinated and that they have the results of a negative PCR test taken within the previous 72 hours. Exactly the same uh, rec uh, standard and requirement that Canada will have for international air travelers as well. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, Public Safety Minister Bill Blair. Thanks very much, Abigail. And one more important piece of the puzzle. Late Friday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released a critical update. People who received mixed doses of COVID-19 vaccines will be eligible to enter the United States next month. The agency stopped short of recommending the mixed-dose practice in the U.S., but now acknowledges it is an increasingly common vaccination strategy elsewhere in the world. That includes Canada, where nearly 4 million people are believed to have received doses of two different vaccines. We asked Minister Blair about this before the CDC made its announcement. Here's what he said about the Canadian government's role. I can tell you, we've been working very closely with our American counterparts. Our health officials have been providing the data, the evidence, and our studies, which have demonstrated, I think, and shown very clearly the efficacy and the effectiveness of, of the, the, the mixed dosage that, that regime that was put in place in Canada. We provided that evidence to the CDC. 
Tomorrow marks one month since the federal election. A new cabinet will be unveiled nine days from now and the House set to resume November 22nd. And when it does, there will be several dozen new faces and we want their take on what comes next. Joining me now is a panel of new MPs elect from coast to coast. In Halifax, we have Liberal Lena Metledge-Diab. In Thornhill, Ontario, Conservative Melissa Lansman. And in Nanaimo, BC, we have New Democrat Lisa Marie Barron. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to start with Ms. Metledge-Diab. We, we know now the House will come back more than two months after the election. I want to know, where's the government accountability there? We, we got a message from Canadians electing a minority parliament. They want you to work with other parties. So why take so long to get back to work? Let me say merci beaucoup uh, for having us here on a, on this panel. I'm very pleased uh, that I am an, with an all-female panel here uh, and very pleased that Canadians have elected uh, the most female MPs uh, to the House of Commons, particularly as we celebrate the 100-year anniversary for the first woman to get elected. Uh, so to your question, uh, Canadians want us to get the job done and I'm very pleased and really uh, excited to be uh, part of the new MPs to be able to work with my caucus colleagues and also with uh, other colleagues across the aisle in order to do the important things that Canadians want us to do. Uh, having said that, uh, the government has continued to do the great work that it had been doing, particularly on ensuring that Canadians are kept safe, uh, on mandating um, vaccines uh, for federal employees, as well as uh, for travel and so on. So there's a lot of work to do, and I'm very excited to get, uh, get to work on those. Melissa Lensman, is that enough for you? I know your party put out a statement saying that a conservative government would have gotten back to work faster. What do you think? Well, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think after, uh, you know, after um, Mr. Trudeau crossed the country uh, over the last, you know, over the last 36 days, just uh, less than a month ago, saying that this was the most important election since uh, since World War II. You would think that we would call, be called back to work in person in Parliament, uh, you know, with less than 62 days of, uh, of vacation. So I think Canadians expect uh, that their parliamentarians go and fight for them in Ottawa, and they do that within a reasonable timeline. I don't know anybody who, after uh, after a, a very important election, says that we should take a vacation for 62 days. All right, and Lisa Marie Barron, I, I want to ask you, the NDP helped the minority Liberals pass legislation time and time again in the last Parliament. Do you think your party will follow that playbook this time around? Thanks for having me on here, and, and also I'm very uh, happy to be on here with uh, other MPs. Um, you know, what we know is that uh, the NDP MPs uh, continue to fight for people, continue to fight for the environment, um, and that's what we'll see moving forward. We're excited to get to work um, and, uh, and, and know that uh, we will continue to push for people. People are struggling right now. We're seeing that and hearing that. That's what our, our MPs have uh, brought forward in our first uh, caucus meeting was talking about how do we uh, fight for the people that are struggling and fight to address the climate crisis. But how do you think that interplay will work with the Liberals? Will you help prop up this minority government uh, again in this, in this new parliament? Yeah, we will definitely continue to push uh, Trudeau's Liberals to do better for people um, and sure do hope that uh, uh, the gov this government will work with the NDP to get the work done. And, and that's exactly what we'll continue to do is, is push for that to happen. 
All right, another uh, hot topic right now is this question of whether it should be mandatory for MPs to be vaccinated uh, when they come and sit in the House of Commons. I, I want to start with Melissa Lansman. Uh, during the campaign, your leader didn't mandate vaccinations for candidates. Where do you stand on whether all your MP colleagues, you know, sitting side by side in the House should be mandated to be vaccinated? Uh, look, I think first and foremost, Parliament needs to come back in person. I don't think that we've heard that uh, necessarily from uh, from the government. And I know that negotiations haven't started yet. They will start shortly about what that uh, what that return in person looks like. But absolutely, it shouldn't be uh, virtual. On the question of vaccines, look, I think vaccines are important. I'm vaccinated. I'm double vaccinated. I encourage others to get vaccinated. And while those negotiations are happening, I think that it, the government needs to be clear on what it's going to take to to get people back into the house and in less than a month from now. Okay, but I'm not really hearing a clear position on whether you think it's important that your that your caucus colleagues or that all I think MPs it's look I I absolutely think it's important to, to be vaccinated. Uh, I, I am vaccinated. Again, we're going to have those discussions in our caucus. We're going to make that position known. But in terms of the negotiation of, uh, of what happens in the House, uh, that happens between uh, House leaders and, uh, and the leadership in, uh, in both parties on what a return to Parliament looks like. Okay, and on that return to Parliament, uh, Lena Metledge-Diab, I'm, I'm going to ask you on, on both points there. Should Parliament be in-person only? And what do you think about, uh, about all MPs being vaccinated or having that be mandatory? So we know that Canadians want us to keep them safe. We also know that science and epidemiology has told us that vaccination is the way uh, through this pandemic. So that's why I believe it's important for elected officials to show leadership on this question. And in fact, I come from Nova Scotia, have been a cabinet minister here for the last eight years. And I'm happy to say that even the, uh, the government here in Nova Scotia has made that uh, a priority and has mandated that all elected provincial officials also had to be vaccinated. And in fact, they've returned to the house just this week. So I believe that uh, for those MPs that choose to set foot in the House of Commons, that they do need to be vaccinated unless they have a clear medical exemption. Again, I'm not a doctor, nor am I an epidemiologist, but uh, there is a way there. Otherwise, I think they, you know, they, I, I would believe should be given the opportunity to attend virtually. Uh, and, and I believe that's the right thing for us to, to do for, for Canadians. So that, that's interesting because that leaves the door open to a virtual parliament from your perspective. Do you believe that there should be a virtual parliament, virtual committees? Where do you stand on that part of the issue? Uh, again, I, I, MPs were all elected in their respective ridings to represent their communities. Uh, we all have a duty, though, to represent our communities, but we also have a duty to represent all Canadians. And in doing so, uh, right now, the pandemic uh, uh, is a crisis across the country, uh, particularly in some provinces more than others. And it is incumbent on us to ensure that we set a good example uh, and we do get vaccinated. So I urge those MPs that are not vaccinated. Sorry, Ms. Metledge-Diab, uh, I'm just going to cut you off there because you're answering about vaccination, but I was, I was interested in your answer on virtual parliament. Do you believe there should be virtual sittings uh, in the House, committee meetings? Should virtual still be on the table at this point in the pandemic? My preference would be in person. Uh, 
uh, as I said before, uh, MPs were elected to represent their ridings and they need to have an opportunity to do that. Having said that, I think uh, returning November 22nd will give them all an opportunity to actually get vaccinated if they have not yet gotten vaccinated. And we all know they're not gonna be able to fly in to Ottawa uh, for that. So I encourage right. them all to get vaccinated. All right, thank you. And Lisa Marie Barron, I know there's, we now have these two questions on the table that you haven't had a chance to answer there. So uh, mandatory vaccinations for MPs and, and what about the future of parliament, virtual or, or in person? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, Jagmeet has made it very clear, Jagmeet Singh, our, our leader of the NDP has made it very clear from the beginning that we need to be uh, setting uh, a strong leadership and example on how to best move forward. And we know that um, with the more, uh, the more of us that are vaccinated, the better. And so all NDP members of parliament are uh, double vaccinated. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been double vaccinated. My children have been double vaccinated. Um, and so we definitely uh, believe that our leadership needs to be setting that example um, and uh, continuing to increase uh, all those who are vaccinated. Uh, as far as uh, meeting, you know, um, of course, meeting in person is always uh, much better for us to be able to work together. Um, but I'm going to continue to uh, listen for the advice from our medical health experts around, uh, you know, how we best move forward. We uh, hope that this pandemic, uh, that cases uh, will uh, decrease, but the future is unknown right now. So we will uh, see what our medical health experts uh, recommend and will, of course, continue to be creative to ensure that our writings are represented and uh and yeah prefer to be in person right. of course but we'll see what happens we'll see what a lot to see in, in the weeks ahead that's all the time we have thank you so much to our uh, panel of new mps from from coast to coast and an all-female panel thank you so much for joining us on the west block this week, Quebec's health minister announced the province is postponing its mandatory vaccination requirement for health care workers by one month. Christiane Dubé says as many as 25,000 workers are not vaccinated, and if the plan to suspend them without pay this month went ahead, the impact of labour shortages on an already stretched system would be too great. We want to give the unvaccinated staff extra time to collect their dose. But I want to be clear... We will apply the mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers, but postponing the 30-day deadline is the best solution under the circumstance. And joining me now to discuss this is Nathan Friedland, a nurse at a Montreal hospital. Thank you so much for, for joining us and, of course, for all your work on the front lines. I want to ask what you think of this announcement. Will it be enough to get as many as 25,000 people vaccinated? I think it's a terrible decision by the health minister and no, I don't think it will be enough to get 22,000 healthcare workers vaccinated. The whole thing behind healthcare is there has to be accountability. Without accountability, healthcare doesn't work. And the health minister tried to hold us accountable and he failed. Now, Mr. Dubé gave as a reason that 35% of long-term care facilities would lose significant services if he went ahead with the deadline. I don't need to remind you that long-term care centers in Quebec were like death houses. There were literally thousands and thousands of elderly people that died in long-term care facilities. 
in this province. We lead Canada in deaths. How is it that there are still healthcare workers in long-term care facilities that are not vaccinated? These people are elderly, they're at risk, they're going to get a third dose. This so may I ask you, may I ask you Mr. Friedland, what, tell us about the why, because you work alongside, uh, you know, a lot of colleagues in healthcare, and we don't often talk about the why behind the hesitancy. It, it, why do you think there are these thousands of people still unvaccinated? It's unfortunately a lack of professionalism, a lack of knowledge, and I hear reasons like, oh, well, my body can fight the virus better than the vaccine can. The vaccine has a microchip in it. They're, the government's trying to control us. I mean, these are healthcare professionals. This You're hearing healthcare professionals. You're hearing healthcare professionals who believe that there's a microchip. Yes, wow. yes, yes. I mean, this is just unbelievable to me. And he had a chance to hold us accountable, which happens very rarely in healthcare, and he didn't take it. I want to ask you what you think should have been done differently, because had he, as you put it, held you and healthcare workers to account, there would be this staffing shortage. What do you think the government should do going forward? I think that whatever data he was presented with, I, that's not the data that I see where I work. And I work in a very busy emergency room that's plagued with staff shortages. And we would have handled this deadline just fine. Now, if it's a case of long-term care centers not having enough people vaccinated, which he stated, I mean, that's clearly just pathetic that these workers are not vaccinated. When they saw people in their facilities die from this virus. They should all be vaccinated. 100% of them should be vaccinated by now. So his reasoning to me doesn't hold water. And now... Okay, I take your point about, about long-term care, but, but you think that hospitals would be able to manage the burden if unvaxxed staff were not on the job? I, I could tell you that mine would have. All right, well, thank you so much for, for your insights into this matter. I really appreciate your time today. You're welcome. That was Nathan Friedland, a nurse at a Montreal hospital. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday with us. I'm Abigail Beeman. Have a great week.